Chris Black and David Livingston return us to the end of the filler. Okay, I, I was right. I was pretty sure it was, it was next episode of this one. It's this one. We're, we're officially out of the filler. Finally. And we're back to the main plot. You can tell because they actually have a continuing on at the beginning of this. And this continues the Tucker uh, plot, the pole plot, the, you know, the, the Andorian plot is relevant. Obviously, the weapon is at the forefront of things. And we even have a, uh, environmental plot because the anomalies are still kind of a problem that they're dealing with. So, yeah, no, return to form. <laughs> There's, uh, another asterisk to that, but we'll get to that later. Uh, and that's the episode E2. But again, we'll, we'll get there. So, Shran, cool. This scene shouldn't exist. It should be ejected entirely, my opinion. This then leads to Degra, and he continues to be the mad scientist. He wakes up the obstinate council who doesn't believe in his work in the middle of the night, and they, of course, make unreasonable demands of him because obstinate leaders are obstinate. These really are the Mass Effect Council. And they demand, hey, you know, we, we need this thing. I have urgent news. What's that urgent news? In three days, I'll be doing a test. Um, Degra, we need to work on your definition of urgent news, I think. You can watch a test in three days. Okay. Cool. And he likes to rant at the superiors. There's a big close-up angle of him. Everything is portraying him in this continued light. It's interesting. I don't think I ever noticed this before. So, then we have a literal, as you know, moment, which is irritating. And then we find out that they have been able to restore some of the data that was deleted. I'm going to go ahead and ask the question that hundreds, if not thousands, of people have asked over the years. Um, does Starfleet not know what undelete means or is? Do they not have a recycling bin? It would actually, I would have legitimately been amused if after all that drama in Chosen Realm, they were like, hey, so yeah, those people, they didn't really know how our computers work. So they just hit delete, but they never em emptied the bin. So all the data is still there. <laughs> That would have actually amused me quite a bit. Especially since the deletion of the data doesn't matter. It has no significance or impact, other than the fact that they get screwed over because of something the data wouldn't have helped them with, and then rescued by Shran and uh, Kumari, I think was the name of the show. Nice vessel, by the way. I never actually got the STO equivalent, although it was really top tier for a while there. But anyways, I'm getting off topic. So I was, yeah, yeah, map, sure. It sure is lucky that Tran was there, because apparently they had no other option for survival. That's always fun when Star Trek pulls that trick. This is why I say that the earlier scene with Tran shouldn't be in, because this is a much better reveal. Someone has got a track to be modest, we're dragged out, and they even do the reveal where they've got the straight-on shot of Archer, and then the antennae are sticking out, and then the camera kind of pulls over to the side and you see Shran behind him. Much better reveal than the intro thing, and would have worked a lot better pacing-wise, but whatever. Small nitpicks. This then leads to the Andorians trying to aid them in their efforts. Huh. You know, in that alternate future, in the episode that I despise, Twilight, there's... Oh my god, I just realized the episode I despise is called Twilight. <laughs> that just clicked with me. I mean, I, I don't have anything against sparkly vampires, I swear. Anyways, that, I'm sorry, that's, that, that tickles, that tickles. Um, in Twilight, we find out that the Andorians had actually reached out to and lend aid to the humans. In fact, giving them their uh, force field shields. Remember that? Why is that relevant? Because the Vulcans didn't help out in that alternate future. Interesting. Now, this 
let's go ahead and get the spoiler out of the way right now. The Andorian people are not here to help the Enterprise. They're not. This is a mission to try and procure the weapon for their own uses. So the Andorian state is not actually helping here. But the captain is able to interpret orders as is his fit, as long as he fulfills his mandate. And Shran actually goes out of his way quite a bit to actually assist Enterprise, both on a personal level in helping the repairs on the ship and to, you know, help them in their mission. Now, I want to point that out specifically because that is an interesting anecdote and is kind of how some alliances between otherwise powers have happened in the past, where someone who was on the front decided to work with even in the bounds of their mission, even though they were technically antagonists. And that led to stuff, which led to stuff, which led to stuff, right? Now, that doesn't always happen, and usually that kind of thing is torpedoed the moment, you know, they they get back to the actual leaders who actually make the shots. But it's just interesting to think about. It also makes me wonder about the whole officiate of the state thing. But I'll, I'll come back to that in a moment. Either way, the Andorians are here to help. No, they're not. Shran is here to help. Closer. This, it actually irritates me a little bit, their antagonizement of Shran and the Andorians in general. Now, granted, he's not exactly a friend, but he's also not an enemy. In fact, even his, even the state of Andoria is not actually the enemy of Earth, uh, or in EarthGov at this point in time. So why do they treat him in this way? Now, what's doubly irritating about this is there's a scene where Archer says, I don't like the Andorians any more than you, and I don't, I don't want them down here. Sorry, sorry, let's not mis misquote this. I don't like the Andorians being down here any more than you do. This is immediately followed. The very next jump cut is to a scene where he berates to Paul for being suspicious and of, of, and not liking the Andorians. What? Did, did, did these, did the script get a rewrite and someone didn't think to change that section? Because that doesn't work at all. Overall, they tend to be more antagonizing towards the Endorians than I would like, and it does irritate the crap out of me, but I'm willing to forgive it if they do more with it in the future, which we won't see until season four. Spoilers. Either way, whatever. Reed also is a complete dick here for two scenes, and then he snaps out of it immediately. What? <laughs> are, okay, I'm, I'm not going to question it, but there's just, as I mentioned, the pacing issues in this episode are bizarre. And there's too many scenes that don't actually line up or make sense alongside each other. It, it just really weirds me out here. Anyways, we find out that they're deciding to test the weapon on an abandoned moon in the middle of the expanse rather than on Earth. Um... You know what, I've already ranted about that. I just wanted to point out how even the show makes fun of the very same concept that I made fun of back in the day, back in The Expanse, back in Season 2. So T'Pol and Tucker have a brief moment. T'Pol is avoiding Tucker. Interesting. And that's all we get from that, which is good. You know, just This is, the again, the value of these multi-episode arcs, is that you just have to have it show up for a scene or two. Speaking of which, we also have a scene with Tucker and his sister, involving Shran, and Shran sympathizes. Now, what's interesting here is we get some good characterization for Shran, help build him up as a character. Everyone knows he was going to join the show in Season 5, and, I mean, you can kind of see the building blocks of that going into it. It probably helps that Jeffrey Combs was extremely interested in playing the character and continuing to work on Trek, so, you know, you had all the building blocks there, right? But what's interesting is we get some backstory and we get a little bit of a bonding moment. But Tucker says, you know, I'd love to get my hands on them, but I'm here to do the mission. And Shran says, 
Don't you want personal vengeance? I'm just here to accomplish the mission. Shran then says, we'll get you your warp injectors. Because, of course, Shran would would uh, respect the idea of prioritizing your mission over your personal goals. I mean, right? <laughs> Either way, this then leads to Degra, and we once again see how Degra is the big bad here. They continue this portrayal. Seriously, watch this scene for a moment. Or just remember it in your head. We've got the council. Hey, where's our results? We've been sitting here for an hour. And I expect my planetary destruction to happen on a exact schedule because I'm an idiot who has no idea how engineering or military affairs work. I don't think they phrase it like that. But that is effectively what they're saying. Including the yawn. Degra then says, please stand by. We are doing one final check on the energy levels to make sure it goes through properly. There we go. Okay, energy check is go. We are shooting. And the moon is absolutely devastated. They then say, this is it? All you can do is devastate the moon? This is pathetic. Oh, hashtag relatable. You ever you ever do that? I, I don't mean the devastate the moon thing, although who hasn't, am I right? No, what I mean is you've been working on a project. This is especially true in corporate. And it's like you, you've managed something good and you push it out and it's amazing. And they're like, this is it. Oh, I hate that moment. And it's, it's, it's not just the, the whole self, you know, self-worth thing, but it's also the, the unreasonable manager. Cause that's what they are. The council is straight up a group of unreasonable managers with only a couple of exceptions. And so they're like, Degra, you suck. And Degra's like, and, and what's funny is they continue the showcasing of Degra as competent. Again, building him up as the big bad. Uh, this, this, I could see this straight out of a JRPG. Degra is the person who's actually the final boss, and the people who are his superiors are just the Act 1 villains, right? Anyways, but um, what we find out is there's this bit where they say, what happened? We demand to know immediately, because that's how that works. You can just respond in seconds to what went wrong, right? Degra's response is the actual and logical one. I, I will need to look at the data. Then they say, you're going to fix this, right? To which his response is not to say yes or no, but merely to reply truthfully, I need to look at the data. I can't even figure out what went wrong until I actually examine this, so give me a frickin' minute. Then, Shran shows up. Well, actually, does he? Hang on. Yes, no, then Shran shows up with the Andorian Mining Consortium. That got a laugh out of me. And there's this great bit where, once again, Degra proves his competence. Sir, there's a ship entering the system for the test. Okay, immediately shut down the test. I think this actually happened earlier, now that I'm thinking about it, but whatever. Immediately shut down the test. Immediately pull pull out the defenses. Immediately go hide the weapon. Immediately send ships to intercept. Bam, 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 bam. Just competency right on display there. Keep that in mind. Anyways, so then the other scene happens, which I found. Sorry, I, I said these out of order. I apologize. I also missed over a scene where we find out that Reed is breaking with tradition by not serving on a military ship. Or not serving in the military. I see what you did there, Track. So, as usual, I pointed this out before. They use the antennae. Antennae? When it comes to the Andorians to help be part of their presentation, part of their body language and how they emote. Pay very close attention to Shran's antennae when they suggest that they steal the probe rather than actually destroy it. Huh. This then leads to... I probably come across as very pro-Shran. 
And that's because I am. And, but it's not just because of Jeffrey Combs. I will freely admit that a good actor will salvage a character in many ways for me. There's a reason I'm a fan of Gold Dukat, despite the fact that he's Gold Dukat, and Mark Alemo is a huge portion of that. But Shran isn't just salvaged by Jeffrey Combs, although that helps a lot, I'm not going to lie. It helps, though, that Shran is... Well, he's pro-think, to put it bluntly. And that's kind of why I tend to be more in the camp of pro-Shran. He actually thinks an alliance with humankind is a good move. He probably thinks of it in terms as getting humanity to ally with him, them instead of the Vulcans. And again, the, the Sengoku Jedi, you know, uh, pieces of the board reshuffling, it would be beneficial to them in the exact same way it has been beneficial to the humans of the Vulcans. But he actually wants that. He doesn't want to betray these people. He is not in favor of this. He will. He will do his duty. That is his job. He has. There's this line where the general, who is the obstinate idiot, the unreasonable manager, hey, that sounds familiar, says, don't worry, once we have this weapon, we won't need an alliance with anyone. What kind of stupid nonsense is that, if I might be so bold? I, I can't even put into words how much of a huh thing that is. This, of course, leads immediately to Shran being very bothered by this. And when he reveals this to Archer, he's not happy about it at all. It's all over his face. Even though he justifies it, he's still obviously not exactly on board with it. He's just you know, following orders and do, accomplishing his mission. Because accomplishing the mission over his personal priorities is something that is kind of his shtick. So, he gives the, the, the party reasoning. They need this weapon in order to ensure that Vulcan will never attack Andoria. Uh, <laughs> do me a favor, remember that. It's going to come up in the future. This then leads to Archer straight up slugging Shran. This is probably the best showcasing of how much Shran is bothered by all this. Shran could do all kinds of things here. Instead, he just takes the slug and then allows Archer to go and tells the Enterprise where to find him. Because, again, this bothers him as much as it bothers anyone else. Later on, as he's talking to the General, he even flat up mentions, if it's all the same to you, I don't want a commendation for this particular action. So, this then leads to one of the better showcasings of the do-what-I-have-to story arc that we've seen throughout the course of this entire season. We will detonate this thing in your cargo bay. Nah, you're bluffing. All right, activate it. And Shran takes a few seconds, thinks, processes, and then is like, all right, give me, give me the bay. It's exploding. You got 30 seconds. Get it out of here. Get it out of here. This is, I mean, if you think about it, this is a very dangerous thing that Enterprise is doing. Really. They are attacking someone who is the next best thing to an ally and the closest thing they have to an ally in the Expanse, in order to prevent that, that ally from getting away with the Zindi weapon. Now, I would do the same thing, to be completely blunt. Even from a political perspective and a correct versus incorrect perspective, this is the correct call, absolutely. Just as immediately volunteering to, you know, uh, offer repairs and, and, and rec help them recover from this incident is also the correct call, in addition to being the right call. But even if morality is thrown out the window, I would still be on the side of what Archer does here, which is a strange coincidence, or not coincidence, it's a strange happenstance. It doesn't usually happen. 
Anyways, this point is made because they're not enemies, and they need to not be enemies. And this will then be left percolating for future episodes. I find myself wondering once again about that whole officiate of the state concept. I said I'd bring that back up. If Arch... I mean, obviously the Andorians have a little bit more of an established fleet and military hierarchy, and thus are more established, and thus their captains have less leeway, is, is what I'm trying to get to. But at the same time, it would be interesting if Shran did actually have a degree of leeway in acting as an official of the state. The state may not back him on his calls, but it would be interesting if he had the political weight and clout to make calls on behalf of the state. The idea I keep bringing up in season one and two. Because Archer over there has effectively been doing that this entire season, whether he knows it or not. And thus, Archer being willing to work with Shran, and Shran being willing to work with Archer, means two officials of state would actually be willing to work with each other. And it's not much. But it is the beginnings of something, isn't it? As Shran says, and I believe him firmly, that's how alliances are made. And what I mean is, I, be I don't believe the, the, the line. What I believe is that he wants that. I believe Shran actually really does want an alliance with humanity. Either way, I do hope you all have enjoyed. And I will see you next time for even more Degra action.